Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching The Sunshine Boys. A vaudeville duo agree to reunite for a television special, but it turns out they can't stand each other. <laughs> that old chestnut. I told Diana right after we finished this, delightful, but dated. Yeah, totally dated. I mean, like, we try not to harp too much on the stuff like, this is horribly racist. But... But it's there, and it should just sit. You know, you just got to know that when you see a movie like this, there's some racist and very sexist bullshit. But the story itself is great. It's Neil Simon. You really, the the thing I, I felt about this movie going in, knowing just the premise, because mm-hmm. I've, you know, I'd heard enough about Neil Simon to know what the premise of this and Laughter at the 23rd Floor were, mm-hmm. that if nothing else, it will be solid. It'll be a solidly written script, and it will be entertaining. Because that's Neil Simon. Yeah. All day long. And sure enough, that's exactly what this movie delivered. Yep. It just so happens to include two really great performances on top of it. Yes. Uh, at one point, I, was, I just told David, I was like, those two got nominated. And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, and, yeah. And yeah. And I was just like, okay, good. Because they deserved it. <laughs> it's They just both put in really great performances. And, you know, it's not the greatest movie in the world, but it's fun. It's it runs a little long. Uh, yeah, and and it's a play adaptation and they hadn't quite figured out his plays. Yeah, but it's a good story and the and they're having fun doing it, so I it's it's an enjoyable watch. Well, the budget cannot be found. I couldn't find the budget here anywhere. Okay. Um, but this was not a box office success. It did a whole lot better as a play. Okay. Ray Stark, who we just got done talking about with Funny Lady. Okay. And Funny Girl produced this film Mm -hmm. and he would go on to produce 10 more of neil simon's movies through the 70s 80s and into 1993 okay so we're talking about the run of neil simon movies including the super super well regarded goodbye girl okay which you know that's the one that got all the acclaim Mm -hmm. but also brighton beach memoirs biloxi blues like all of the big neil simon stuff that everybody knows about Ray Stark produced. Okay. So this was a match made in heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I gotta say, coming off a funny lady and a pretty lackluster premise to try to recapitalize on Fanny Bryce. Yeah. This is so much better. Yeah, this was definitely better. Um, this was a decent out of I mean, like I mean, I've never seen the play or anything. The story is solid. Neil Simon is nothing if not consistent. Yeah. It's just, I mean, the things that are too long is just like the business with the nephew. It's just the scenes themselves run too long. They run too long and it suffers from the play adaptation curse for me of you don't have the editing down right where it takes too long to cut between the characters having dialogue. Yeah. And you're focusing so much on you're like, well, the dialogue's good. And it's like, yeah, I get that this would be a funny bit on stage. This isn't funny on on screen especially not how you're filming it yeah and this should be much faster on on screen this should be much faster some of this and it's just not the speed of the doctor bit is about how fast the rest of this movie should be yeah and it's funny because like i've seen the odd couple mathow and lemon have that chemistry now Mm -hmm. now they filmed it a lot more like a play there's not a whole lot of this sort of 70s gritty element to Mm -hmm. it so I wonder if you had really done a more wide single frame camera that really you've got one shot for every room that you're in and you just stay on the actors. Yeah, like a 
like like an actual filmed play, would that work a lot better here? I know you have to go into the TV studio and you've so, got to get out, but like maybe a little bit, but yeah, I they they were I feel like they were just too focused on let's get let's get into all the business and you know, I I do like it when actors have business, but they focused on it so much and that they just it just took too long. Yeah. Like even the phone calls with the nephew, it's like this should be a minute and it's taking five. <laughs> yeah, it's just too long. Well, our writer is Neil Simon, mm-hmm. wrote the original play and the screenplay. Okay. We know him as a legendary playwright. He wrote lots of television as well through the 50s and 60s. That's how he comes upon these kinds of stories mm-hmm. because he worked with a ton of legendary vaudeville and 1930s and 40s comedians for writing for their television shows. Yep. So before this, he wrote for Your Show of Shows. That was his big sketch comedy writing claim to fame. Okay. Then, Come Blow Your Horn, After the Fox, Barefoot in the Park, The Odd Couple, Sweet Charity, The Out of Towners, Plaza Suite, Star Spangled Girl, The Last of the Red Hot Lovers, The Heartbreak Kid, and The Prisoner of Second Avenue. After this, Murder by Death, The Goodbye Girl, The Cheap Detective, California Suite, Chapter 2, I Ought to Be in Pictures, The Lonely Guy, The Slugger's Wife, Brighton Beach Memoirs, The Marrying Man, Broadway Bound, Lost in Yonkers, The Odd Couple 2, and Laughter on the 23rd Floor. What do we think of his writing? It's pretty good. I mean, it's based on a play, so that's good. A well-received play, which helps. Um, it's just that tightening of the the business that needed to be cut for TV, for film. It just takes too long. I don't think that's his issue with the screenplay at all. What's really great in this movie, and what's really great in all of Neil Simon's work, is when we focus more on the characters and less on any of the ancillary stuff outside of them. Like, we talk about the problematic bits in the script, and if you cut those out, you have these wonderful rich characters. True. Who have this just hatred for one another. Yeah, I know, and that's always super enjoyable. I just feel like it needed it needed another pass by somebody who wasn't close to it. He needed another writer. Mm, I, I think this is our director. I don't think this is our writer at all. No, I, I think this is someone who is too close to the stage play and needed someone to come take a pass at it to tighten it up for film. That's it. I think that's it. It's not really a slight. It's these scenes are running too long for a movie. I just, I disagree. And I, and I disagree because he's already written scripts for film before this but that are really well made. That's fine. But this was made for the stage and is being adapted. I just, for me, the things that I think are problematic are all visual and editing based and not script based. That's what I saw every time I, as I was watching this and where it dragged for me. Mm-hmm. The Broadway play ran for 538 performances from 1972 to 1974. It was nominated for three Tonys, including Best Director for Alan Arkin, who directed Ooh. this play. And it starred Jack Albertson, who played Charlie's grandpa in Willy Wonka. Okay. And Sam Levine, who among many stage achievements, originated the role of Nathan Detroit in Guys and Dolls. Okay. It's based on the lives and careers of two vaudeville comics, Joe Smith and Charles Dale. But unlike these two characters, those two were actually inseparable friends. When Dale died in 1971, Smith commissioned a single tombstone for both of them so that the inscription read their stage name, Smith and Dale. (laughs) That's so sweet. The strained relationship is actually based on a separate vaudeville doer, Gallagher and Sheehan, the latter of whom was Groucho Marx's uncle. Okay. But another interesting thing, and another thing that clues me in on this adaptation, 
is that this script has been remade at least six different times for television. Okay. And has also been remade in like Russia three different times or Germany, I think it was. German people love this this show for whatever reason. Well, it's a great shtick. <laughs> like the people who make amaz- who do amazing work together but hate each other. It's great. I mean, it just is. It's funny. Now let's get to our director, Herbert Ross. That's right. The same guy we just talked about for Funny Lady. I didn't plan this. Didn't even think that was going to happen. But the same year, he made this movie. Okay. I don't like it. I think it's really lackluster. Yep. I don't think he has the right vision to make this work. Especially when we get onto that TV stage. Like, zip it around. Make it make it crazy. I want to see network style movement like we do in that TV studio with this movie. That would have been better. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, it's just it's a little, it's lackluster. There should have been more energy. It should have been more frenetic. And I feel like, okay, that's actually where, so that's where we should have seen them turn into professionals. And we didn't. And that's what I found so beyond frustrating. And I just want to say up front, I really enjoyed this movie. I think this is one of my favorite movies that we've watched for this series. Just because it was very, it was so enjoyable. Um, of course, I really loved One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Of course, that's probably the best movie we watched. But this was the most enjoyable one we've we've watched so far because the story was really fun and also it was performed really well. I can't say that about most of the other movies, <laughs> but this was an area where they're bickering. I would have I was fine with seeing them bicker when they were in the dressing room. That makes total sense. They're bickering. That's just like him writing putts on the mirror. Loved it. It was great with it. But the second they have to leave that dressing room, we should have seen them. We're professionals. We're going to do our job. We're going to go out there. We're going to do this skit. We've been talking about this whole movie. We're going to get to finally see it. It's going to go great. He's going to do the thing that I don't want him to fucking do, which he's going to say, come in or enter instead of come in. He's going to piss him off, but he's going to keep going because he's a fucking professional. He's going to spit in his goddamn face and it's going to piss him off, but he's going to keep going because he's a professional because our job is to come out here and make these goddamn people laugh because that's what we've been doing for 43 years with this skit. And then the second they get off stage, it devolves and they become insane with each other. That's what I wanted to see instead of them breaking and stopping. That's what made me like frustrated because we don't get to see them be magical together like we can feel it we can see the beginning of it but then it stops for that moment like i wanted everyone in that room watching this and being frustrated by what's going on with them and like oh they're arguing about not getting this like oh it turns out they hate each other okay great we got to deal with that okay we just need them to go through it. like i wanted everyone in that room to be captivated by how amazing they are yeah and then the second they're done they are bickering and yelling, he's spitting at me, blah, 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 blah. Like, oh, like, and then the spell is broken. That would have been so much better. And I know it's not, I mean, it's a script, is a script, is a script, but like still, I'm like, mm, that hurt me. Well, yeah, I don't know. It just, for me, all of that, that slowness, I was like, if we had just kept it rat-a-tat-a-tat the whole time through, and this was an hour 40 movie, mm-hmm. okay. I would not give two shits. <laughs> I would be like, yes, yes. Just keep it, keep it barn burning. Keep it going. Because on stage, you could imagine this just going an hour and a half. 
with just a quick intermission in between. You could. I could. Huh. I know that's what that moment should have been. You're absolutely right. I am. Who could have been better? Woody Allen was approached for this movie. Garbage human. Now more than ever, we have so much documented about how horrible this man is. Um, we don't know. No. 1975 makes sense. Totally makes sense why he would have been considered. He actually turned it down because he was actually interested in the role of Lewis. Oh, okay. And in 1996, they did a television remake and he played Lewis in that version. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Also, that, again, totally makes sense. Especially with an update. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, Just cancel him forever and whatever. Yeah, no. Horrible. Yep. Let's talk about the really bright, shining thing out of this movie, and that's our <gasps> cast. cast. We're going to start with Walter Matthau as Willie Clark. Mm-hmm. Might remember this man as the reason Hello, Dolly is terrible. Okay. Hello, Dolly is a treasure. It is. I agree. He is... The worst part of Hello, Dolly. He drags that movie so far he down. He makes Hello, Dolly not amazing. Yeah, it's bad. So before this, he's in TV, then Bigger Than Life, A Face in the Crowd, King Creole, Ride a Crooked Trail, Gangster Story, Lonely or the Brave, Charade, Failsafe, The Fortune Cookie, A Guide for the Married Man, The Odd Couple, Candy, Hello, Dolly, Cactus Flower, Plaza Sweet Koch, Charlie Varick, The Laughing Policeman, The Taking of Pelham 123, and The Front Page. After this... The Bad News Bears, Hopscotch, JFK, Dennis the Menace, Grumpy Old Men, IQ, The Grass Harp, Grumpier Old Men, Out to Sea, and The Odd Couple 2. What do we think of Walter Matthau in this movie? He's fabulous. He really is. I mean, Walter Matthau was made to play a grumpy man. The fact that he was 55 when they made this movie. That's crazy. That's crazy. And he passes completely as a 70 to 80 year old man crazy okay, i think he says i'm 74 years old like yeah. of course yep that tracks <laughs> and i will say like the makeup they did on him very good oh yeah like very convincing i just he's so incredibly charismatic in how much he doesn't want to be bothered by the world like i just want i just want to do my thing just let me do my thing and leave me alone let me be funny. That's what I'm good at. Pretty much. But uh, nobody wants that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting for me because like he'd always played middle-aged grumpy guy. Yeah. And later on in his career, he just ages into the a- grumpy old- He aged into his personality. Grumpy old men. And here's the thing. Walter Matthau, great actor. Yeah. Not really known for being wacky. Yeah, he's a little wacky in this. But in a- in a fun way. He's playing the wacky guy in he, this duo. Yeah, his nephew is the straight man for most of it, and then it's George Burns. It's out it's Lewis. Lewis is the straight man in this vaudeville duo. Yeah, which is so funny. But that makes sense for who George Burns is. He's super dry. He's dry. He just says really inappropriate things. Yeah, that's George Burns. Yeah. So Mathau has to be the super wild wacky one. Mm-hmm. which is not something we see that often from him. No. But was... he's so into it the whole time. He was so fun. Completely invested. Even in those moments where it's slow, you're still enjoying watching him do figure out and calculate what he's going to do next. Who could have been better? Red Skelton, the longtime comedian and clown. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know who that is. Uh, he's a famous TV comedian. He's also known for his paintings of clowns, which you might have seen. Oh, okay. I've definitely many, many seen times. those. Sure. His terms were too high for the producers when they approached, so they withdrew. And reports were that he also thought the movie might be a little too blue for his style of comedy. But two years later, he played the role in a television production. Okay. So who knows? Mm. Now we talk about George Burns playing Al Lewis. Mm-hmm. Unlike his co-star, he did not rise up through Hollywood. He was an actual vaudeville comedian. Yep. He was part of the duo Burns and Allen. They jumped into movies from there. They had TV shows, movies. He he performed with Gracie Allen for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they are comedy legends. But outside of like smaller movies, sketches, and their own just like variety show stuff, this is his first like starring film role. Hmm. He had not appeared in a movie since 1939's Honolulu before making this film. And it was considered one of the biggest comebacks in movie history. I mean, that's a really long ass time. He was 80. Yeah. Yeah. So after this movie, he doesn't really have before credits that are like recognizable other than all the television he did. Yeah, because I'm like, he was on TV. Oh, yeah. He was well known, but he wasn't a movie star. Mm -hmm. But after this, he does, oh, God, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, Just You and Me, Kid, Going in Style, Oh, God, Book Two, Oh, God, You Devil. 18 Again, and Radioland Murders. What do we think of George Burns in this movie? He's fabulous. (laughs) I mean, he he just is. He's fabulous. Here's the thing, is all the way through this movie, you keep asking yourself, are they really actually senile, or are they just doing this because they don't want to have to talk to people? (laughs) And especially him, it's always a guessing game. Yeah, like, you just kind of get the sense just don't want to be around people anymore which fair totally valid i like being with my family and my grandkids in new jersey like i've settled into this life i love that that's the ultimate conflict here like it wasn't something actually like horrible or bad that happened it's that he decided he wanted to be done and Mm -hmm. retired yeah now he retired in a really badly public way that left his partner out to dry but He decided he was done. Which is, yeah. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. Nope. That's what's so interesting. And and it it comes especially at the end of the movie when, you know, he he talks about they're going to have another baby and I'm excited. So now I'm going to go to the actor's home. Yeah. (laughs) Which, of course, is funny. But it's also just this telling thing of Clark doesn't want to be around his grandkids. I hit him with a baseball bat. They yell at him. He doesn't like it. (laughs) Well, like when he talks about living in his daughter's house, it's like, it sounds like, oh, you got this fancy house. And it's like, no, I don't bother them. They don't bother me. I got a room. We're good. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) oh, like you've just like, you've just settled into the best old folks home situation you could have. And there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. That's great. But it's just so funny. It's just throughout the movie. There's, there's those moments of peppered throughout where you go, oh, you two are oil and water. Like, you two have no reason to get along whatsoever, except you were funny together. Mm-hmm. That's that's all that it was. Which, again, totally fine. Totally get it. He's so fun and so dry because he's George Burns. And it's also really fun to watch him try to run through a hallway away from Walter Matthau. Yeah, that's pretty adorable. Because <laughs> Walter Matthau is like fake running. I'm sure he could actually kind of full sprint if he wanted to. But Maybe. But George Burns is an 80-year-old man. And also, he's little. So he has to kind of shuffle. 
It's just funny. So funny. It's so funny. He arrived on set having completely memorized the script. He figured it'd be harder for the producers to fire him if they wanted to. Not a bad plan. <laughs> he typically performed with a hairpiece. So seeing him without one in the opening of this film is actually one of the few times he ever filmed without a hairpiece. Oh, okay. Like, I feel like I knew that, but yeah. okay. You'll typically see him, especially in those Oh Gosh publicity shoots, which, you know, he became huge for. Oh, yeah. He's got a gray toupee on. Yeah, I guess it probably just didn't so much register that it was a toupee or I was just too young to care. Who could have been better? And I should say Red Skelton was cast in the role okay. before he decided to turn it down. Also, who could have been better and cast in the role first? Jack Benny, oh. the driest straight man in comedy history. Mm, okay. There's actually, in some of the extras, 10 minutes of silent makeup tests of Jack Benny and Walter Matthau oh. preparing for the role. There's no information about why he eventually dropped, but Jack, Jack Benny... If you can imagine George Burns, but with even less reactions, <laughs> because that's how dry Jack Benny was, but it would have been so funny. It's it's the unstoppable force versus the immovable object of comedy duos. Yeah. Also, who could have been better for both of them as potential duos? Bob Hope and Bing Crosby were pitched. That was rumored, but our director and producers all went like, no, that doesn't work for this duo. Because Hope and Crosby weren't vaudeville, really. Mm -hmm. They had a different style. And Phil Silvers from Sergeant Bilko fame and Groucho Marx. Okay. Old man Groucho would have been fun. Would have been fun. That could have been fun, yeah. But I'm not mad with who we had. Finally, in the main cast, we're going to mention Richard Benjamin playing Ben Clark, Willie's nephew. Before this, he was in Catch-22, Portnoy's Complaint, and 1973's Westworld. After this, Love at First Bite, First Family, Deconstructing Harry, and Marcy X. He's also became a director, mm -hmm. making a handful of movies, including the Tom Hanks classic, The Money Pit. The movie is amazing. What do we think of Richard Benjamin in this movie? He's great. I wish they had given him a few moments of wacky. To me, he almost exclusively read as, you feel like you're on stage and not actually performing for a camera. Yeah. I wanted him to have a few moments of wacky because he's Willie's nephew. And I wanted I wanted to feel like a little bit of that connection because you can tell he loves his uncle. I wanted to see like one or two of those tender moments of just like, yeah, we bust each other's balls. It's like, I hate this dude, but I love this dude because he's my uncle. He's my favorite dude. I'm his, I'm clearly his caretaker, but also I love him. And like, we, I didn't get, we didn't get to see why. Yeah. And just, just a, just a little touch of like this banter we get to have, like that little bit that he has with Lewis, he has with me too. And I get to have that. I wanted just a little flavor of that, and we didn't. It, it, to me, it was because he was just felt so stiff the entire movie Yeah, that I didn't really believe any of those moments that he had. Sure. And so he just he just felt off, and I was like, I wish we had somebody a little bit better. But you know what? It's fine. Now on to our pawns. We have Lee Meredith playing the nurse in the sketch, Miss McIntosh. Mm -hmm. She's got a handful of roles that you might recognize, including Ula in The Producers. And she was also uncredited as a character in Funny Girl. Oh, okay. Rosetta Lenoir, playing Odessa, Willie's nurse. You'd probably best know her as Estelle Mother Winslow, the grandma on Family Matters. Oh, okay. Yeah. F. Murray Abraham, playing a car mechanic. 
Yeah. So young. He's a baby. Uh, uh, he's F. Murray Abraham. I don't need to say anything else. Maybe you do not. He's fabulous. Howard Hessman playing Mr. Walsh, the commercial director, a.k.a. Johnny Fever from WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah, I saw him. I was like, is that dude? <laughs> Just give him some sunglasses. <laughs> Ron Rifkin as the TV floor manager. He's a longtime character actor, but you probably know him best as Arvin Sloan from Alias. He's not Joel Grey. That's his official name to <laughs> me. Which they totally play... Like, that's just a thing that they both know. They have an uncanny resemblance. They're good friends. They've both been in the theater a lot. And I think Joel Gray actually like came on Alias and played the character. It, <laughs> it was a whole thing. That's funny. It's a whole thing. And it's the best. And I love it. It makes me happy. Jennifer Lee Pryor playing Helen Clark, Ben's wife. This is a sometime actress, but is primarily known for being the wife of Richard Pryor. And a major voice for his legacy since. She's been involved oh. in all of the different documentaries about him. Oh, okay. And has been interviewed extensively about being married to him. Oh, that's cool. Fritz Feld playing Mr. Gilbert, the man at the audition. He had a long career, played Rudolph's assistant in Hello, Dolly. Okay. Steve Allen as the narrator of the fictional TV program. Steve Allen had his own offbeat talk show that he started in the 50s, which spun into the tonight show he was the very first host of the original tonight show uh, oh, by okay. all accounts he is the sole inspiration for stephen colbert so if you want to if you want to taste for why stephen colbert came up with his brand of talk steve allen's your guy i love stephen colbert he's just i mean even the colbert report was just genius yeah to a man between stephen colbert and dave letterman if you're looking for Late night talk that also included really surreal, wacky bits. Mm -hmm. That's what Steve Allen came up with in the 50s. Yeah. And finally, Phyllis Diller playing performer on fictional TV program. She's Phyllis fucking Diller. Yep. And she gets some killer jokes. Yep. I do love the line. You think this is fancy. This is just my slip. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. <sighs> Nominations. This movie was nominated for Best Actor for Walter Matthau, mm -hmm. Best Supporting Actor for George Burns, Best Adapted Screenplay for Neil Simon, okay. and Best Art Direction Set Decoration. Okay. Fun Golden Globes fact here. We're not talking about the Oscars, of course, because we're going to get to that later. Okay. But Matthau and Burns tied for Best Actor in a Comedy at the Golden Globes. Oh, that's funny. When they got on stage... Burns looked at Matthau and said, I just came up here to help him up. That's all. Of course he did. <laughs> of course that fucker did. His joke got a standing ovation. As, as <laughs> rightfully so. And there is no other trivia for this movie. Okay. It's a it's a real short little production. I don't think there was any like big crazy happenings going on with the production. It's just a straightforward movie. Forward. That's awesome. I love that. So let's rate it for every movie. We have a specific rating system for this movie. Oh, it's got to be something related to the Doctor Sketch. I think we got to go ah sticks. Ah sticks? What's an ah stick? You know, the stick they put in your mouth yes, and say ah. <laughs> I know what you mean. Uh, good line. <sighs> it is a good line. Um, hmm. I'm going to go four and a half. Wow. Because I really enjoyed it. And the performances are lovely. And it's just a little of that like tightening 
like it's just the tightening of the pacing and those scenes that just ran too long for me that needed changing. And other than that, I'm like, done. Good. I'm going to go three and a half. I think it's a really good movie. Uh, don't get me wrong. That's not saying the movie's bad, but it is slow to the point of me going like, really? Why are we moving this slow? And I think it's a lot to do with how how the thing was filmed in the first place. And there was a lot of room for improvement there. Mm-hmm. That doesn't take anything away from the performances. It's a three and a half star movie that I would also say, watch it. You'll love it. You'll have a great time. Mm-hmm. I think the craftsmanship of it is just not quite up to snuff. But the performances are fantastic and well-deserved for the nominations. Yeah. And that's going to lead us to our last film of the year. Ooh, okay. A film that I am both intrigued and very nervous about. Mm-hmm. We're going to the Hollywood Entertainment Well again. Oh, well, duh, we do it a lot. But we are about to watch what is considered maybe the deepest, hardest satire and take on Hollywood that's been made today. Okay. I got a feeling this movie's gonna be cynical, difficult, might be just a mess and boring, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> We're going to watch The Day of the Locust. Oh, I have no idea what this is about. All I can tell you right now is that it's going to be Hollywood in all of its horrible darkness. Oh, joy. (laughs) That sounds like fun. Let's watch a lot of that. But before we get to that, let's talk about some new movies we've seen. New movies. Today we watched Promising Young Woman. A young woman, traumatized by a tragic event in her past, seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path. I love this movie. <laughs> I did. I was on a, a rage high afterwards. It's a good movie. It It's great. I'm incredibly uncomfortable, as I should be, because... Yes. And some of it is... I remember hearing criticism when this came out after Sundance, mm-hmm. and some people saying, don't see this movie. Now that I've seen it... Mm-hmm. I understand where that was coming from. I I do. This movie is not meant for victims. Nope. And in no way does it portray what victims might deal with in the process of this. Nope. (laughs) This and and here's the thing. When I saw the trailer for this film and I heard the criticism, because I heard the criticism about the movie first and then I saw the trailer, I was like, This movie is not about overcoming sexual assault. This is about a warning to men who perpetrate sexual violence and sexual assault. And even more so rape culture. Yes. And there are so many things in this film that make you go, (gasps) and it's like, okay. Okay. There's such a tightrope walk with this film. And they, I really feel they stuck the landing. (laughs) I really feel that. I don't really want to spoil anything. I just really want to, like, if this is a subject matter that you feel you can watch safely, please go see it. If you can't, I fully understand that. I I think it's, I want to hand Carrie Mulligan the award. (laughs) I really do. I really, uh... 
I really don't think it's going to get any other awards. I think the nominations are warranted. I think the direction is actually really, really good. Some of the cinematography is also quite amazing. Uh, some of those shots that the way they were set up are gorgeous. It actually gave reminded me a lot of Wes Anderson uh, in, in some regards, but very well done. And if you don't, if you're a little unfamiliar with who Emerald Fennell is, she plays Camilla Bowles on season four of The Crown. <laughs> so she's also an actress. So uh, that's kind of uh, interesting. Uh, I really, this movie is needed. And uh, yeah. No, I'll agree with that. Yeah. It's it is a difficult movie. It, we, it, you shouldn't shy away from that part. No, but uh, if the subject matter makes it difficult for you to totally understand, yeah. Next, we watched Sound of Metal. A heavy metal drummer's life is thrown into freefall when he begins to lose his hearing. This is a lovely movie. It is. It's so good. It is definitely one of those cinematic feats. One of those things that you really only could do this by using the movie and the sound and all of that together to get the point across of what they were making. If it does not get the sound award, fuck everybody else. Yeah. Like it like it deserves it. It's the most important aspect of the film. I like arguably. Um it's it's a really beautiful movie. It's very well acted. Uh, it's definitely in hot contention for original screenplay for me. Um, again, we, we still have a lot more to go watch, but it's very it's it's really well done. Riz Ahmed is fabulous. Uh, he's not winning anything. But he's fabulous. <laughs> Paul Ricey, who is the guy getting the biggest lion's share of attention from this movie, definitely is one of the scene stealers in supporting sure. actor. Uh, and his nomination is very warranted. Sorry, you're not winning. It's Daniel Kailua's year. Yeah, but it but it's a it's a nomination worthy performance, and he deserves all the accolades he he's been getting. Absolutely deserves to be uh, in that nomination pool. Yeah, no, it was it's a lovely movie, and it's um yeah, it's great. It reminds me a little bit of Nomadland in that in that sense of it's not judging any of the characters for the decisions they're making, though there's going to be conflict between those characters. Sure, for sure. sure. Uh, you're just you're just going on a journey with this character, and, and I like that. Those are those are not the worst movies to watch right now. Well, and it shines a light on a very specific community, which is also very cool in a wonderfully positive way. Yes. So yeah, it's worth watching. Yep. All right. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.